0: Welcome to episode 79 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. This is the objects to observe in the night sky for January 2021. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We are amateur astronomers who love looking up at the nighttime sky. And this podcast is for anyone who enjoys doing astronomy and wants to see some amazing celestial sights for themselves. Shane, welcome to 2021. We're not quite there yet in the real world or in the past world, but... uh, we will be uh, very
1: shortly by the time this podcast drops. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, 2020 has obviously been a, a hard year for a lot of people. Um, you know, the pandemic has really turned things upside down. But, you know, when I sit back, so I'm writing an article um, for the local astronomy club's newsletter. I'm the editor, so I, I write an article every edition. You should see and, me. i got a
0: hat that says precedent and everything. It's
1: pretty incredible. Yeah, it's wicked. It's wicked. <laughs> but, you know, when I look back, uh, at 2020, from an astronomical perspective, what a year it's been! You know, mm-hmm. we we had Jupiter and Saturn well positioned for most of the year, or for most of the warm months, for really good yeah. observing. Uh, and then obviously they ended with you know the great conjunction. Um, you know, we had Mars uh, super close, or closer than it will be until 2034. And, and you and I and many others had some wonderful observations of that. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the unexpected comet Neowise, which you know. Uh, was, was outstanding. Um, and then, you know, the other thing that, um, is very apparent, especially if you try to buy any brand new astronomy gear is there's a real, uh, resurgence of amateurs looking through telescopes because you can't buy new gear. It's very difficult to buy new gear right now because the uh, demand is far exceeding the supply. Yeah, And I think that's a wonderful thing too, that people are uh, becoming more engaged in astronomy. So anyway, I know we're not here to talk about 2020. We're, we're, you know, doing a 20 oh, January good. 2021 observing report, but I just thought yeah. I'd kind of recap the year a little bit, um, uh, that it was, uh, it was an outstanding astronomy year.
0: Yeah, it was. And, uh, sort of fortuitous as, as the planets went because of course it's, it's easier, uh, to observe planets uh, at home, at least for, for many of us who live under unfortunate light pollution, uh, conditions. And so with, with the planets up the way they were with, uh, you know, Jupiter and Saturn and Mars, and then even starting back in, in, in uh, March with Venus, you know, we had our sort of lockdown declared here around the middle of March. And then of course, that's when Venus was getting uh, towards its best. So I was like, well, I can't go to do deep sky observing because, you know, you're not really supposed to go running around. Uh, You know, they were saying, don't really, you know, go running around too much and uh, and so i uh, you know was able to uh, do lots of venus observing and got really into that and then as the other planets and some of the other things have come along um, it's been really good to to be observing uh, at home uh, for the most part though i did do did do one deep, deep dark sky trip but uh, as we roll into 2021 i'm looking forward to that vaccine and and hopefully everything getting back to normal and then we're uh, or, or at least normal as you and I see it where we go roaming around the countryside in the dark of night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's our normal. <laughs> yep. Yep. Can't wait. <laughs> so, so once we, once we get to, to that point, I think uh be pretty excited. So, so sure. yes. Yeah. So we're going to talk about what to look at in January, 2021. 20, and Shane, you've got something to say about the sun. See how I rhyme <laughs> that?
1: Yeah, I hijacked your notes. Um, so to kick off January, um, January 2nd is a super sun. <laughs> <laughs> you've, uh, you've
0: created something akin to a monster.
1: Yeah, well, you know, I know how much you love the the media branding super moons and, and all of that. So uh, I thought I I would put a super sun in here just to poke at you a little bit, (laughs) but but really what you're the worst possible person. I know. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Why why do you even do this with me?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Can I do this as a
1: solo podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So anyway, on January 2nd, earth is at perihelion, um, which means it's at its closest point to the sun. So the sun will actually appear just slightly larger um, it's, it's really akin to a super moon, you know, in a lot of regards. Um, the, uh, the actual ability to see this though is, is, you know, it, it's more of an, uh, of an event to note as opposed to an event to observe. Um, the only way you'd really probably tell the difference in the size of the sun would be, is, uh, you, you take a photograph of the sun in, in July when we're the furthest away from it. And then you take a photograph of the sun in January when we're the closest and compare the two images and there'll be a slight difference. Um, But anyway, if you're a solar observer, January 2nd, uh, you know, it probably doesn't get better than that if your seeing conditions are good.
0: And I always have to chime in and say, never look at the sun with your unaided eye. You will go blind or have permanent eye damage one way or another. Uh, Do not do that. Um, Shane is an experienced solar observer has specialized solar observing equipment. Um, but I do know we do have listeners out there that are solar observers and have a lot of these really cool, uh, like hydrogen alpha and calcium and such, uh, solar telescopes. So, um, I think it is worthwhile mentioning now the the difference though, and I, I, I kind of do like the way you put this business with the super sun. Um, but whereas with the moon, that's when the moon is at its, uh, perihelion um but this is when earth is at its perihelion point in relation to to the sun so there is a bit of an astronomical difference there right
1: yes absolutely yeah
0: i i have to mention that because sometimes people get caught up in these monikers or naming or semantics or whatever and then (laughs) the astronomy gets gets lost a little bit you know there's actually a solar tide i grew up in the ocean so you know these things but there's a solar tide eh? you know that yes yes so it's kind of that, that's sort of one of the things you learn when you're, when you're growing up in the ocean because when the, when the moon and the sun do meet up, you will get a, a bump uh, in the tide as well. And so I think I mentioned this before, but I have lost many flip-flops as a small child and a few toys that, that floated away because you would go and you would mark that high water mark on, on uh, you know, there's, there's a low tide that's still a high tide. And then there's the high tide, which is a high, high tide, which is like the solar tide. And combine with the lunar tide, and then you'd you'd mark the low one, thinking that oh, I can leave my toys will be safe above this line, and then you go and and you have your nice night's sleep, and you get up in the morning, you're ready to go back and play on the you know our beach. Our beach is not that fancy; it's literally eight and a half by ten feet, and you run down to the beach, and your toys are either submerged or gone, <laughs> <And> <laughs> you. You go. What happened? And then your dad's like, "Yeah, there's two tides, two tides, kid. You you learn this today. You learn something. It cost you fifteen dollars of plastic." All right. <laughs> so the third, we have a meteor shower peak.
1: Yes, but unfortunately, uh, the moon is just past full and. It's not a favorable time to observe uh, uh, this meteor shower. It's the quadratic meteors. Is that what it is?
0: It is, according to my quadratic equations.
1: Okay, okay. But I think
0: um, qu- quad quad quadrices was like an old timey constellation that we don't have anymore. Okay, okay. And you won't see uh, these meteors anyway.
1: <laughs> because of the moon, because or of in the general, moon. yeah. Uh, because
0: of the moon, it, yeah. And I think in general, this this isn't like a like a big shower. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen one. Maybe I've seen like one.
1: Yeah. uh, New or full moon and meteors do not mix. Well, you want a dark sky in order to see meteors. In fact, most like if you're, if there is a good meteor shower and if you're under a light polluted sky, you probably won't see them either. You do need Mm -hmm. to get to a dark sky to really, um, you know, uh, experience these. Um, so there's there's always that factor with, with the meteor showers. You have to look at what phase is the moon in. And really, if it's not new moon, if there's any kind of moon in the sky, it's probably going to wash out some of your experience.
0: Speaking of dark sky mix, anyway, Phil, Phil got a new telescope and he sent us this photo and there was some spirits on his shelf. And, and for some reason, when I opened up the email, all I can see is these spirits. And I'm like... <laughs> what is going on anyway, so you got a new telescope but it was below it was below the, the, the dark sky mix that he was making. All right, so January 9th to 12th there is something happening. It is difficult to see. this is one of those things that I kind of look at and go mm, this is one of those things that you might hear in the media or something but uh, I think it's going to be too difficult to see what are we what are we looking at on the morning of uh, the mornings of the 9th to the 12th Shane
1: Well, uh, on the heels of uh, the great conjunction of, of Saturn and Jupiter, um, Saturn and Jupiter and Mercury will be, I think, about, what is it, three degrees apart? Um, or is it even closer than that?
0: Well, they, some of them get as close as 1.7 degrees. I think Mercury and Saturn oh, yeah. uh, pair up at, at two degrees or less. Now, um, I think all three of them will fit in a three-degree circle. Yeah. Um, being super cool, just under two and a half degrees apart. Now it's going to vary depending on when people are observing exactly in relation to, uh, to their closest points. So, and sort of one thing that, that I struggle with a little bit when we're working on these show notes, um, is that we're observing in basically the, the middle of North America. If you threw a dart at North America and, and we're, we're essentially, I think, I think we're, 500 kilometers off the absolute center of north america so not even that far um but uh because of that uh everything is sort of relative so if somebody you know we have listeners over in the uk um it's going to be different for for them because you know the 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 moon is going to be moving past the planets uh at the rate of uh i think it's like you know whatever it is uh 15 degrees a day or something like that so so things are going to sort of appreciably switch by many degrees depending on when and where people are looking at them. When I was doing these, I was starting to go, okay, now for the UK, what is it? Now for Japan, what is it? But I, I think probably what we're going to have to do in the future is just give people like universal time or something and say, this is the closest point. But really in essence though, within, within the, the course of that day, uh, people are, are going get to a, get a pretty good view, no matter where you're at, in on the morning of the 9th, um, they're, they're going to be sort of in, in the general vicinity uh, of each other in the nighttime sky or in the morning sky.
1: Yeah, and maybe maybe just a, a point to, to add to that is um, you know all of the stuff that we talk about, uh, it's it's a good idea to to open up your planetarium software, whether it's on a computer or on a phone. And if you're interested in observing any of the stuff we talk about, check it out on there for your location for where it will be in the sky, as well as the timing, because a lot of the stuff that Chris and I talk about will be, you know, for 50 degrees latitude, um, you know, right in the middle of North America. So, (laughs) so things will vary a little.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They will vary very little bit. Um, but you know, even for, you know, we have a few people that we chat with, uh, over in the UK and it's, it's different, but it's not that different. And, but they do notice it's interesting because like, Hey, I noticed it was a little bit different. they still saw whatever event it was we we're talking about, but they're like, I noticed that this was a little different. So people will actually, uh, witness those differences, which, which mm-hmm. is fine. Uh, and it, it's all still relative. One thing I did though, is I, I, you know, sort of ran the calculation because I'm like, Hmm, if I want to see these, how could I best see them? So I was trying to figure out Um, what gets me about a three degree field of view sort of with the most power possible. So um, I have a little bit of an underutilized eyepiece, which I shouldn't be underutilizing. I think it's my most expensive eyepiece, which is a 12 and a half millimeter with about an 84 degree field of view. And if I use that in my 60 millimeter at F6, because I can use my 60 millimeter at F6 or F10, if I use it at F6 or F5.9, I get 29 power and a three degree field of view, and I feel like twenty nine power and three degrees is pretty good.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, I think that that'll be a good uh, good view for tracking that down. Shane, sort of not to go off on too much of a of a dog leg here, but what uh, planetarium software or softwares uh, do you use or, or recommend for for people to use for their planning? Now we recommend to use atlases and paper out on the night sky because yes. screens will impact your ability to see, uh, faint celestial objects. Um, but when people are planning sessions, uh, w- what do you recommend? Where do you recommend for them to start?
1: Um, I like, well, so planetarium software, I use sky safari. Um, mm-hmm. it's pretty popular. Um, there are lots of other ones out there, but I just love the, um, the amount of objects, uh, in sky safari. It's very intuitive to use. Um, And you can, you can really dial in like your own custom settings, like uh, what magnitude of stars or what magnitude of deep sky objects you want it to, to display. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's awesome. I I think it's one of the better ones out there. Now, caveat, I obviously haven't used all of the other ones out there, so I'm sure there's uh, some others that, um, you know, work great as well, but uh, Sky Safari is what I use. Um, and, um, there's another, uh, piece of software that's lesser known and it's, it's called Astro Planner and okay. it's not, it's not available on tablets or phones or anything like that. Um, in fact, I think, no, I think there's a, a Mac version and a windows version, but okay. you, you need a, a computer and mm-hmm. it's not planetarium software. It's true planning and logging software. Okay. Um, and what I love about it is. Uh, I think just about if you can imagine, like pick any catalog. And I think that you can load that catalog into the planning software Hmm. Um, and then you can generate um, like plans or lists of your own, like let's say you want to do variable stars and and you want, you know, the magnitudes variation to be a certain amount and the period of the, the variance to be a certain amount. You know, you can plug all of those things in as well as like, you know, brightness and blah, 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 blah. And it'll just spit out a report for you of Hmm. objects to observe and you can limit it based on your horizon and all sorts of things. So it's the most powerful planning software that I've found Hmm. and it's awesome for logging as well because, you know, you can put in all of your equipment, um, your locations where you like to observe and, um, you know put in your written logs at the end of the night. Um, it mm. provides finder fields for each object. It's, it's mm. really good. And wow. It's, um, What's it it's called again? Astral Planner. Astro Planner. Yeah, yeah, simple. Um, I'm trying to think. I think Paul Rodman is the developer, and I believe he's a, he's an amateur observer like you and I. And okay. I think he does this out of the basement of his house. Like he, yeah. uh, He's a wonderful developer. He supports the heck out of this thing. And um, I, I've been using this for probably 10 or 12 years now. And yeah. It's, it's pretty awesome.
0: I'm just looking at uh, astroplanner.net. Uh, runs, starts out at uh, $45 American, uh, maybe 25. I don't know. There's there's a bunch of different um, versions of it here. Seems yeah. to run between about 45 and $130. Uh,
1: well, uh, so, and I, yeah, that's cool. I, maybe he's changed his pricing model, but at one point you could use it for free. But if you wanted to... And I think you got like the NGC IC catalog. And yeah. if you wanted to do all of the other catalogs, then you had to pay yeah, like $40 or something like that to yeah. uh, get a license to use it all. Well, and
0: and on that note, I'll say this. So I started using back way back in the day, free software. And I think, I think you can still get it. Um, it. It's out of France. It's called CartesCL and uh, mm-hmm. C-A-R-T-E-S uh, space D-U and then space C I E L, which is something about the night. And, uh, and I really, really liked it a lot. Um, but then when I started teaching my astronomy classes, I needed something that looked a little bit better. And so I actually ended up trying sky safari, like you mentioned, and I liked it. And I think I have like the teacher edition or something. And I typically wouldn't, have bought that but there are some features that I use for my class and it's I think it's designed for people that are teaching like astronomy classes so I i forget what it costs but um, so I get a small an, a very small stipend for teaching my astronomy class and as part of that what I do is uh, is I keep that uh, that license up, up to date um, because I do rely on it quite heavily and it's designed um, for using and, in, and, in, uh, in a classroom environment. So it's super handy. Um, I understand there there's one and I've used it a little bit on my Linux side of, of my, uh, Chromebook partition. And that is the, uh, the Stellarium. I don't know mm-hmm. if you have used
1: that at all. No, I've not used Stellarium. I've seen, um, uh at like local astronomy meetings during mm-hmm. presentations, I've seen people show Stellarium, but I've never because it, it.
0: I think it's free. I think it's really, or, or there, there's a pretty good free version. I think Sky Safari actually has a free version now as well. I think they came out with the free version after they, they had, they had the paid versions first and then they put out a free version, um, for whatever reason. I don't know. I still pay for, for my, my version, but, uh, but again, it's, it's one of those things you kind of, you kind of get what you pay for and, uh, and the, these aren't really, really expensive things. And they certainly do like to have good planning software is, I think, critical. The, the piece of software that I, I really, really love, but I don't use it that much. And I actually own it um, is the uh, Sky Tools by Skyhound. Um, and it's I think it's the best, but it's Windows only. And okay. so I, I don't really I have a work Windows computer um i kind of don't feel right in installing like a really big astronomy platform package on that i i don't think my it would bother my work or anything i know the it guys super well they're actually into astronomy too so it's not going to be an issue but i'm kind of like i feel like at least in my mind i'm crossing some sort of line if i'm installing like a huge astronomy platform on my work machine you know because one day it's going to crash and they're going to be like what happened i don't know i was just running like a simulator and (laughs) that that might not go well so yep. so sky tools if you have a windows machine is is and that has um what do you call it your logging and stuff yeah. is built and yeah. it, it's pretty good yeah it that is advanced software though so yeah
1: it's expensive too
0: it's expensive i get it as a gift um wow. my, my wife bought it for me as my as a, as a christmas present mean christmas present several years ago it is good it is really good, but one of the sort of one of the funny things with astronomy is that um, it definitely is better to kind of start sort of on on the uh, on the beginner slope for some of this stuff because, uh, like, I I don't think uh, somebody who's brand new to astronomy, even if somebody's like super computer savvy, should sit down and start messing around with sky tools. Um, that's just going to be painful, I I think, because it, it works well if you know like you know, the NGC from the IC and all that kind of, you, ha- you have to have a working knowledge of the night sky and amateur astronomy and how the catalogs all mesh together because they haven't built that into it. It's just built with the understanding that, you know, all that stuff when you're, you're getting this package, which I don't even know how much it costs, but it, it's not inexpensive, but definitely worth it. Mm-hmm. I should get another windows machine and just update my license on that. Cause it is, it's pretty good. Um, maybe if we get a, Anyway, we'll go from there. We'll stop talking about different things and get back to the sky this month.
1: (laughs) Yeah, No no more squirrels. No more squirrels. Exactly. You
0: know my thing with squirrels. All right. So January 11th, and a lot of this stuff is in the morning sky. So this one is also in the morning sky. And uh, again, if you're observing the morning sky and you're observing planets in the morning sky, be super careful because planets can get awful close to the sun. So be sure to check your local sunrise times and, uh, and don't observe after that time for your exact location um, because uh, it, it can be easy uh, enough uh, for people to accidentally get get a peek at the sun, and and if you do, it can be uh, detrimental and damaging to your vision for sure. So, morning sky, January eleventh, about six a.m. our time, I think. We've got the the Venus and Moon pairing, and uh, and then by the fifteenth, they form this fifteen degree arc between uh, Saturn, Jupiter, and the moon, uh, in the nighttime sky. So that would probably be pretty interesting to take a look at. Cause I think we're still pretty dark these mornings. So we actually get here in Saskatchewan and those that live at 50 degrees North, like many of our listeners do. And and further North, even, um, you you get a pretty good chance. I think at seeing this big, uh, arc of Jupiter, uh,
1: the moon and Saturn. Yeah. That would be pretty neat to take in. Um, 15 degrees is a great naked eye field and, um, uh, those two by 52 binoculars that we have would be pretty cool too. (laughs) Yeah. So, but,
0: but how big, like, how would somebody know what 15 degrees is on the nighttime sky? Shane, like, is there any way to sort of metric that out so that somebody who's not really as familiar with astronomy would be able to figure out like how big 15 degrees is
1: in the nighttime sky? Well, if you hold out your fist, so close, you know, make a fist in your hand, hold out your arm, uh, the width of your fist knuckle to knuckle is about 10 degrees. Oh, that's just degrees. a, that's just sort of a natural phenomenon that works for everybody. Yeah. We're all just, scaled about the same. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, you this field is about a fist and a half width in the sky. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's the guide.
0: Yep. And, uh, binoculars tend to have about a five degree field of view some of them are, are larger maybe they would have a an eight or nine degree field of view if they're very wide um so this this is going to be larger than what a what a typical binocular uh would be able to take in and it's at the horizon but you could use binoculars to kind of sweep through the field um and then maybe maybe be able to uh, to pick them all
1: up sort of one by one yeah yeah it it, it. Yeah, I can't talk all of a sudden. That's okay. <laughs> um, it would be uh, it, it'll be a pretty easy thing to to locate as well with Jupiter being the the primary bright spot. Yeah, there.
0: yeah, should be good. So what's happening? You? Did did you add this one on the thirteenth or did I put this in? Mm. That's when new moon is. I think you put that in. <laughs> I guess I put Maybe? that one in.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's new moon, so I'm like, okay, what is the constellation at the meridian? So so the meridian is the highest point um, as seen from a line that runs, uh, north, south through, through the poles. Uh, so what's, what's the highest constellation and it's Eridanus, which is a constellation most people aren't going to be familiar with. It's big and it's faint. And if you're in anywhere that has any sort of light pollution at all, it's just going to look like a big blank spot in the sky. So, um, but the new moon is, is on the 13th. and I think we're going to start trying to do another one of these sort of, uh, episodes for what to look at in the nighttime sky, but centered around the new moon was, uh, was one of the ideas we were sort of kicking around in the past uh, week or so.
1: Yeah, we we spend a lot of time talking about solar system stuff for the month, um, but obviously there's a lot of other things to look at. So we're going to uh, we're going to try to put a little more focus on some of those other things, like deep sky objects, double mm-hmm. stars, uh, that stuff. More to come. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think, I think these ones are a little bit more approachable. So we put these, these ones out on the uh, 365 days of astronomy, which has a really awesome, broad and, and, uh, diverse, uh, listening audience. Um, but then we do have uh, people to do to subscribe to, to our feed. And, uh, some of the people that write us through our feed are, uh, much more advanced amateur astronomers than, than we are even. So, uh, Looking for a way to to maybe include uh, some of their observations as, as well as what we're looking at uh, as we get into these new moon periods. Looking forward to the 16th. We've got quite a few events coming up on the 16th. There, Shane.
1: Yeah, we do. Um, I'll hit the first one here. Um, so that night, uh, there's a 13% uh, waxing crescent moon um, that is showing a libration which favors the northeastern limb. So one of the What's main up features. There? One of the yeah, one of the main features that you can see as a result of that favorable libration is uh, Mare Humboldtianum, something like
0: that. <laughs> <laughs> Let me try Humboldtianum. Yeah, that's going go with. that's
1: it. All right. So I didn't include the image, and I probably should have, Chris. But okay. it's um, it's just sort of a a darker colored flat region um, that would be in that northeastern limb and uh oh, okay I see if it. it's, yeah if it's clear um I'm I'll try it uh on the sixteenth. Um however you know this time of the year our weather is highly uh unreliable. Yeah, it's highly yeah, cold. cold. <laughs> 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 that too.
0: Yeah. Yeah That so what else should do be we have pretty oh, sorry, easy I was going to yeah. say that I, I, I did a Google search here and that should be fairly easy. It's a, like you said, it's a darker marae uh, or one of the lava plains. And it's, uh, it's sort of just uh, above and to the right as viewed from earth, um, from uh, the sea of rainbows, I, I think. Uh, anyway. Yeah. So that should be pretty good. Let's see 16th to the 25th all week. That week we have um, Mars and Uranus in the same binocular field uh, or so. So I, I made up some little finders there and, uh, we're going to try to figure out a way to, to start putting these out a little bit, uh, a little bit better. So we make up all these finder charts and then like this time, if I'm teaching in class, I use them in my class, but if I'm not, then they're just for your own, uh, sake. So we got to figure out a way to start putting these out.
1: Yeah, I, I try to tweet them out. So good. We're we're actual astro- we're at actual astronomy on Twitter. So, you know, some folks can find us there. Yeah. Um, but we're looking at maybe putting up a website here soon and we can yeah. start to include some of these uh visual references and some show notes. Um
0: yeah, because we yeah. we do a lot more stuff and we, we put a lot more effort in than necessarily what comes out in in the podcast. Um I was talking to another observer who uh for whatever reason, one of our articles got cut um, that was going to press, and uh, it got forgotten about. Essentially, it's just something I do for fun, but uh, the editor forgot to put it in, and uh, so the other observer was like, "Hey, like what? Well, like what's going to happen with that?" I'm like, "Nothing. Like I like I have nowhere else to." So I said, "I'm we're looking at doing this." So maybe uh, maybe we can put some of that stuff up and what what they are is they're observations of Mars. And all these people sent me sketches of Mars, um, not related to our podcast, but something else I'm working on. And now I have nothing, I have nowhere to go with them there, I had mm-hmm. like a whole series of articles I was going to do on, on Mars. And then for whatever reason, I, I guess uh, the, the journal wasn't as interested in visual observations of Mars. Um, and so uh so I have all these and it would just be kind of neat to, to put them up somewhere. So I think, I think our listeners would probably enjoy those. So all week on the 16th to the 25th, we have, uh, we have Uranus uh, and Mars, uh, pretty close together in the sky. Uh, and then the moon kind of, kind of joins them, uh, later on, on, on the 20th, uh, or so it's five degrees south of Uranus. So you, you need a really big binocular field, uh, to get them all. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, but it, it would be, it would be possible. And by this time, you know, I don't know when the last time you looked at Mars was, it's been a, I guess it's been about two weeks since I last looked at Mars and it was starting to get pretty small by then. I'm thinking by, by the 16th uh, to the 25th end of January, it's uh, it's going to be really small and, and pretty challenging to see any uh, surface detail at that point.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I looked at Mars last week um, during the conjunction observing, okay. uh, when things got a little darker Um, And I was using my little 60 millimeter telescope. Um, Yeah, it's a lot smaller than it was um, Mm -hmm. a month ago. Um, I was able to make out a little bit of, um, you know, albedo features uh, on the surface. um, But that was it. Um, A little bit of like, kind of faint darkness, you know, as Mm -hmm. opposed to some of the surrounding areas. I I couldn't, I I wouldn't even be able to sketch it, you know, like it was just, it was not very distinguished.
0: Yeah. And I kind of get to the point where I started observing Mars back in July and it's, it's really exciting. You start observing it. It's getting closer. You know, you get a few cloudy nights. It comes through again. It's closer still. And you're making all these, or at least I'm making all these sketches. um, And it's just really engaging and engrossing. Uh, and then, you know, even for the month or, or six weeks after opposition, it's still close. And if you get a good night, you can still see loads of detail. And then you kind of get to the point uh, about two months after that opposition, where it's, you know, okay, it's sort of the grand show is is over, and it's fading. You can still see some things, and certainly all that training and experience you've you've gained during that period of time uh, will serve you well in trying to trying to see some features. But uh, you, you can get a little bit underwhelmed. <laughs> so, mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: All right, what's yeah. happening on the twentieth?
1: The twentieth. Um, so, for lunar observers out there, uh, you will be able to see the phenomena known as the lunar X as well as the lunar V, which are pretty much as stated. One looks like an X, one looks like a V, but they're not. They're not really features on the moon. They're kind of tricks that the shadows of the you know craters play uh, when the moon and the sun are just at the right angle. Um, mm-hmm. It creates uh, kind of this, uh, I don't know, illusion, I guess, of a feature. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: So on the 20th, those are visible uh, at 1900 universal time. So Mm -hmm. this is more of a, I think, kind of a European uh, event. By the time, oh gee, maybe like East Coast observers of North America might be able to catch some of this um the because like the sun and that the terminator on the moon is you know it's changing every minute essentially and um the lunar x and the lunar v are only visible um i don't know how long it lasts for but it's it's measured in hours yeah it's measured it's
0: less than a day so yeah 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 Yeah, i think you got you got six or eight hours so yeah maybe maybe the east coast uh So where I, where I first observed it as, as the second person to observe the Lunar X. (laughs)
1: Yeah. yeah. So, um,
0: (laughs) which is a strange thing, but
1: yeah, no kidding. Um, so I don't know, give it a try. Uh, it's a neat thing to see if you've never seen it, just look along the Terminator. Um, and especially if you're in Europe, uh, you you can't miss it. It it really jumps out. Um, you would need a telescope. I don't know if binoculars would be enough for that. I've never tried it with binoculars.
0: powerful binoculars. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah something like my 22 by hundreds hundred would, would serve well. All right. Yeah, for sure. Uh, on the 23rd, we have uh, Mercury at uh, greatest Eastern elongation, 19 degrees from the sun now. Um, yeah. It's uh, it's happening in the, you know, I think this is in the evening sky or have we come into the morning sky now? I'm going to have to look that one up, but uh, anyway, it's, it's not going to be a great uh, view of Mercury It's only 19 degrees away from the sun and I've seen it that close, but, uh, yeah, it's an evening, uh, apparition and it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be really low down into the bright, uh, bright haze there. Um, but for people that chase Mercury, which, which I do, I'll probably go out and try to see Mercury on that day. Um, sometimes you get lucky and you see it. Um, it's sort of a coin toss, you know, I'm probably, Maybe a little better than 50-50, but probably like 60-40, not much better than that mm-hmm. seeing mm-hmm. it. And uh, yeah, other than that, we have a couple comets, but one of them we looked at is uh, way too close to the sun to even mention. We're not going to get into that because we were like, oh, that is fairly bright binocular object, but it's right on the sun.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah I don't think you'd see it. No,
0: we don't want to encourage. Like we'll go so far as to say, "Well, this is happening in twilight. Be careful of the sun." We're not going to give people an object that is essentially at the <laughs> at the sun. I think we think that one was too close to the sun to recommend. Uh, but we have Comet M3 Atlas, which I think we talked about before. Uh, but it's getting how faint is is M3 Atlas now? It's
1: getting well. Faint. The- the December magnitude, uh, was around eight. And then I think for January it's fading to 10 and, and, you know, fading, fading, fading more Mm -hmm. after that. So, um, start observing it now. If you want to try to catch it, it probably won't look like much other than, um, just like a fuzzy star almost or an out of focus star in a way. Like, I don't think it really has like a, a tail or anything like that. No, that would be visible through an amateur telescope.
0: It does do this strange um, sort of right angle, left or eastern hook up in uh, just just a, just above or just north of uh, Auriga, I noticed. Mm-hmm. I was like, "Whoa, that is a crazy." I'm not. I was trying to get my mind around what's going on with the orbit because it has to be like the comet orbit and our orbit must be. They must. They must diverge grossly at that point in time or something, because it, it looks like a right angle hook. I mean, you know, in the charts, I've never seen one uh, turn like that before.
1: Yeah. If, if people are wondering what we're looking at, just look for, for comet C2020 M3 Atlas and and search for a finder chart. And these finder Mm -hmm. charts plot the comets path through the constellations. Um, and they usually go in like two week chunks or you know, the, the period is irrelevant but what, what's really strange about this is normally so you know the comet's path will be joined by a line through the constellations and normally it's like a very gradual you know curve uh, but Meander. this one has yeah. like a you know a hard 90 degree right hand turn <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a very strange pattern that uh, neither Chris or I are really familiar with
0: yeah I haven't seen one quite do that before so that's that's interesting but you know they've uh, predicted that it's gonna that's just how it's gonna appear from earth i think is what mm-hmm. it comes down to um and that uh anyhow that's just that's just the way the way it's gonna appear to move amongst the stars and of course like shane was saying we're talking about a shift over the course of weeks um really on the order of of maybe uh almost a month or so so um that uh you know it's not happening all at once. You're not going to be able to go out and see it like scoot to to the
1: right. Uh, yeah, good, left. good point. It, you know? It's more just a fascination with the, the finder chart. This is yeah. not something that you'll you'll see in the sky. Yeah, just
0: sort of yeah, just sort of uh, you know an orbital eccentricity that that shows up when you actually plot it out. But on any given night, you're not going to see uh, something that outrageous. Uh, so I think that's it. I think that's our objects to observe in the nighttime sky for January of 2021. Shane, unless you have anything else to add?
1: No, that's it. Um, looking forward, I think the one I'm looking forward to the most, well, that the moon libration is kind of interesting Mm -hmm. and then, uh, Jupiter, Saturn and Mercury in the, uh, evening sky just at sunset I'm Mm -hmm. excited for that too so hopefully we'll have clear skies and we can observe that Um, yeah sorry yeah you're
0: right though that's evening sky so I'm not sure if I mentioned I didn't put uh that's the uh, 9th to the 12th you're right that's in the evening sky I'm doing a whole pile of these together and they do um uh a retracement of this in the morning sky coming up in uh you know in in towards like February I think in March even. Um, so you kind of have that to look forward to. So you can see all this play out in the evening sky here on January 9th to the 12th with Jupiter, Mercury, and Saturn coming together. And then in the morning sky uh, in the coming months. And we'll, we'll talk about that as, as we move ahead. So if I'm, I misspoke on I to make sure I correct that now.
1: Yeah. Perfect. Perfect.
0: All right, Shane, we're giving away a handbook.
1: We are uh, Chris received uh, some extra copies and he's uh, graciously agreed to uh, give away one of the handbooks to a listener. Um, anybody can enter to win this thing. Uh, you just have to email us. We are it's not a competition. Ast- nope. <laughs> <laughs> we are actual astronomy at gmail.com. Uh, we will do a random draw. Uh, well, when this podcast comes out, the random draw will be just days away. So you basically have until like, you know, January 1st or 2nd to, yeah. to enter this thing. Um, yep. What we're asking for, if you want to enter to win it, uh, send us an email um, and send us uh, one of your observation logs, maybe uh, a sketch that you've done of an astronomical object or just something you would like to observe uh, mm-hmm. in the future. Um, no criteria or anything like that. We just love reading that stuff. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we we have enough submissions already that will turn this into a bit of an episode. Um, We'll talk about some of the observations that people have had. And, you know, Chris and I will talk about our observations. And, you know, me as an amateur astronomer, I just love hearing about observations, whether they're my own or what somebody else is doing. And, uh, you know, I kind of live vicariously through some people sometimes uh, with the objects that they're looking at. Um, But also sometimes I end up adding uh, objects to my observing list because I wasn't aware of them or I forgot about them and uh, they sound, you know, interesting. So it's, uh, it's kind of a neat, uh, just a neat experience to uh, do that collectively. All right. Well, thanks so much, Shane. Look forward to it. Yeah, thank you, Chris. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to ask us questions or leave feedback, you can find us on Twitter. We are at Actual Astronomy or you can email us. We are Astronomy at gmail.com. And if you would like to support the podcast with a donation, uh, we are selling merchandise at teespring.com stores slash actual astronomy. We wish you all clear and dark skies.